The Innocent are a fire in Mobland, and we're taking a dive into the blackening. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Adam Ball, and this is Off Screen, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. Groovy. So, hello and welcome back to another show. We've got a load of brand new movies to talk about this week that Van has uh, already seen. Um, I've seen none of them, which is why this works, because I'm basically interviewing <laughs> Van about the movies he's seen, and uh, he can either sell it to us or tell us not to go and see it. Um, so, we're going to start with A Fire. I'm, I'm yeah. assuming it's pronounced A Fire. It, it is A Fire. It is a fire, one word, a fire, or on fire. I mean, it does involve a fire, if that helps. It involves a singular fire. Okay, so this is originally, uh, originally under its German title is uh, Rote Himmel, I believe it's pronounced. And uh, oh. this is the new movie from, I did have this. Oh, it's uh, Christian Petzold. Who, do you know, I was trying to work out why I knew Christian Petzold, what, what films I actually knew him for. And it turned out to be uh, Transit and Phoenix. And I could not remember these. And just a bunch of foreign language movies in the last decade that I've, since I've been reviewing, and I see his name pop up here and there and everywhere. And I just couldn't place him for the longest time. It was bugging me the entire time I was watching this. So, uh, drama. What's a drama with a bit of comedy and a bit of romance? Okay. It's about uh, a group of friends, ostensibly two mates who go to an Airbnb. They go and stay at an Airbnb or a bed and breakfast, and they're both there to do work, effectively. They're having a sort of boys' holiday that's sort of a working holiday. So you've got one who's there to work on his, I think, photography portfolio, and then you've got the other who is, I think, more more our protagonist than the other, who's there to work on his literary manuscript. And over the course of this stay there, they've also got uh, Nadia, who runs the place as well, and uh, literary agent slash uh, professor comes to visit them at one stage as well, and the force and and he you know helps critique the manuscript etc and helps plot out our lead I think his name's Leon's uh, book as it were as well but as they spend this time there it's all about the relationships between them all and, you know the, the, the things that come up and the emotions that start to to boil over as we reach ever closer to what seems to be this this burgeoning series of natural disasters that culminate in a forest fire effectively hence the a fire of the Titan. Now, this is this is in German, so we, we obviously haven't got a clip for this. And uh, so, central performances here. Now, I will say, our lead, uh, Thomas Schubert, who plays Leon, I really enjoy the performance here. I also particularly like the dynamic he has with Nadia, who's Paula Beer. And I'm trying to remember the name of the professor. I think it's uh, Matthias Brandt. Uh, as, as the professor. Uh, across the board are actually really good performances and uh, true to pet sold form, very well shot, very taken in by it, very captivating sense of scene, sense of locale. You're brought into this location. And, right, I, I have a thing this week with um, a, a sense of geography in movies. And I say this because this week I revisited the movie Armageddon. And Armageddon is, is 25 years old this year, if you feel... Oh, um, you, don't say that. Yeah, does that make you feel old, yeah, Armageddon? <laughs> yeah. I, I was, I was re-watching Armageddon. I think it was the same day that I saw this. And I was struck by how this has such a well-defined sense of geography. And Armageddon is such a bloody mess. And I love Armageddon. But you know when... From pretty much the point that they board the shuttle, you have no idea what the layout is of anywhere in Armageddon. So, you know, they're on the shuttle. 
you know the cabin, you know the cargo, but you have no idea how they get from one to the other. They get on the space station. You have no idea how that's laid out. They get on the asteroid, and the layout of it makes no bloody sense whatsoever. You're pretty much with it just for the fun script at that point. This, complete opposite. No, this, you actually have a very well-defined sense of place. You know where everything is, where everything belongs. And I, it's the fact that I saw, I watched those two on the same day that I was so struck by it in this case. Because you really get a sense of how this this holiday locale is spaced out. I'm also going to bring this up with another film we're going to talk about in, in, in a bit, which has the, a very similar thing to Armageddon, where you just have no idea what the hell is going on. But no, I was really taken in by uh, the, the script for this, by uh, the dynamic, by the emotional undertones that were running through it, and those performances that really, really anchor it. Very well, ca- very well captured uh, by Petzold, as I say. Uh, Thomas Schubert's uh, uh, performance uh, in the lead as well. Ostensibly the lead. Winner. Not for everyone. Like I say, foreign language subtitle dramedy that's all about the interpersonal, you know, subtitle dynamics. I know this is not exactly going to work on you, sir. But I was more or less older, and I think Art House Goers this weekend will want to check this out most definitely. It doesn't surprise me that you say that it's a very well laid out movie because mm. German. I mean, Germans are sticklers <laughs> for efficient. details. Are you, say, are you saying it's efficient? It's got that German efficiency going Yes, on it. 100%. Fair, fair. You know, runs through everything that Germany exports. Cars, movies, everything. Technology, it's it's all from the same place. Um, but if you want to make your own mind up and see that for yourself, a fire uh, is in cinemas from it's today. It's notably in Curzon. It's in Curzon I was about cinemas, to say. Actually, as well. It's yeah. a Curzon film, so primarily Curzon cinemas. That was going to be my next question, which you answered before I asked it. Great minds and all that. Um, right, next movie, The Innocent. So, ah. um, this this is this a horror movie? No, actually. Uh, this is a French dramedy, would you believe? This one, though, bit of an easier sell, I think, than, than A Fire. So, The Innocent, which translates into its mother tongue, has the title Le Innocent. Uh, oui. Imaginatively enough, right? Written by, directed by, I think produced by, and starring uh, Louis Garrel, uh, wow. who I know as having come up from The Dreamers uh, years ago. So yeah, he's done all of that. He's you know wrote the theme tune, sang the theme tune, full full job like that. You know what I mean? And uh, he stars. Uh, he stars as our lead here, uh, Abel. Abel is uh, you know a son of a single mum. Has been raised by his mum. They say he's in his late twenties. He's a poet. Bit, bit downtrodden poet, as only really he and his mum only have each other, and his mum has something of uh, of a, a patient for hooking up with convicts, right? She she gets in touch with like convicts through the pen pal program, and then has relationships with, with them when they get out of the, the slammer. Now we are literally introduced to this dynamic as she is marrying one of them. She is marrying our would-be antagonist uh, Michel, played by uh, Roshdi Zem. And uh, he's like, we, we get introduced to them at the at the prison wedding, and he then you know gets released shortly afterwards. And over dinner with you know his new stepson Abel, we get the story. You know he was he was put away for uh, selling selling stolen goods, effectively you know for a noticeably marked up profit. Has he turned over a new new leaf? Well, Abel doesn't quite think so, and he starts he and his platonic uh, female bestie start following Michel around to prove Abel's theory that he's up to no good. Now, thing is, 
it doesn't take very long for it to come out that, yeah, he is actually up to no good, and he starts to draw Abel into his schemes under the guise of, look, if I get away with this, it's better for your mum. So our literal poet finds himself the unlikely criminal in this scenario. And it's, it's it's weirdly got kind of an oceans undercurrent to it at times. There's a little bit of a sort of, I don't know, I feel like you could do this in the English language and it'd be Bill Burr in the lead or someone like that. Like, best thing I can describe. But very wacky, a very, very wacky, very French, to, to be fair. And there's a, there's, there's a lot of hard laugh. There are a lot of hard laughs in this. Like, I was, I really did find myself, like, you know, busting a gut, just busting my gut over and over at this. There were some great things. The performance by uh, Rushdie Zem uh, as, uh, as Michelle, I think is exactly the right balance. Because you've got uh, a, a Garel in the lead. And like I said, his, his directorial eye is there. He knows how to direct himself, obviously. And uh, his performance is very much the straight man. To uh, uh, to Michelle, who I think brings with it this, I think the absurdity of the long con, because there's, there's an element of performative, uh, there's a performative element to you know his capers. There is a long con sensibility to it. We have to literally put on a performance and distract guards and things like that. And the way this is all laid out, just really well done and just funny as hell. Um, I also liked uh, Numi Malant as. Uh, What's the name? Is it Melody? Oh, Clements. That's Clements, the platonic BFF, who quite clearly has designs on 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 Abel, you know, beyond what he does. And obviously, through the course of this caper, they start to explore that dynamic. But the way that she plays it as well, with her sort of you know restrained feelings, palpable. I got it. I loved it. I thought this was a good time. Like I say, I think you'll get an English language remake of this. I really do, and I think it will be will star someone like Bill Burr. In fact, if you, if you saw that one, uh, King of Staten Island, with Bill Burr and uh, oh, Pete Davidson, a couple of years ago, where they were the stepson and you know and, and you know the, the stepson and, and the new husband, new boyfriend, that I thought of a lot in this because the character bears an, an awful similarity to a Bill Burr type. So, get on board the train early with this one. It's called The Innocent or Le Innocent. Um, you can see this in art house cinemas this week, and I don't necessarily think you're going to be seeing this at your local cine world, but well worth it. Good time. Doesn't quite go where you think it's going to go, and its resolution, its ultimate culmination, is impactful, but also quite subversive and quite shocking. I loved this. I thought this was really damn good. There's only one thing that stood out, which I've not been able to stop thinking about since we started talking about this movie, and that is there's cool. a, there seems to be an issue with the plot in my head. And the issue I have with the plot is I, I believe most of the people that write to prisoners that are locked inside, yeah. they write to the murderers and the really severe, whereas she's writing to someone who's dealt in stolen goods. <laughs> just seems a little bit bizarre to me. <laughs> we, we don't know how it works in France, you know? It could be a whole different thing. We don't know. Well, obviously that's how it works. Whether that's the case or they know. bent the plot to fit the narrative, I don't know. But um, but it, I mean, it sounds like you enjoyed it. So, you know, I did, that's I a did, win. Yeah. Hmm. So if you want to go and see it, as Van said, it is out in cinemas from today. Specifically, which cinemas? Just, say I would again? say Art House Independent Cinemas more right, for okay. this one, yeah. Brilliant. All right. Well, we are back in a moment. We're going to talk about The Dive in just a few minutes. So stay right where you are.
Hello and welcome back to the show. We are going to dive right into the next movie. See what I did there? The dive. That BBC <laughs> training paying off there, isn't it, baby? <laughs> yep. Um, so this is kind of like, uh, from what I've seen on the synopsis, a sort of a thriller kind of movie, right? Yeah, it's a survival thriller. The weird thing is, I got the press release for this a few weeks ago, and the publicist, who I know, you know, the publicist's a mate, so I was like, oh, okay, I can, I can, I can talk to them a bit more casually than I would normally. And they said, uh, oh, it's this year's fall, but underwater. And I was like, no, this is 47 metres down without the shark, is what this is. So, uh, two sisters, uh, Louisa Krauss and Sophie Lowe. Uh, movie is, uh, I'm going to have to look up the director's name. Movie is written and directed by Maximilian Erlenwein. And it does have something of a German German pedigree, I think a German or Dutch pedigree. Um, two sisters who have been raised scuba diving by their late father. And they have sort of differing uh, opinions on, on this, but they still do it as a bonding exercise. Every year they sort of go away together and, and go and dive somewhere, even though one of them has less fond memories of it than the other. Now, the one with the less fond memories, however, gets caught under a rock slide. As they are diving, and they are 28 metres below the surface, she is pinned under a rock. Time is running out. Air is running low. You've got one trap behind the rock, the other one ferrying back and forth to try and get supplies. They've, they, they've lost the phones. They've lost the car keys in the, in the rock slide. They can't get the jack from out the car because they can't get the keys to get in the boot. You know, it, it is a full-blown survival thrill of the highest order. I've got a clip for you. And this is our trapped sister uh, starting to hallucinate, starting to lose it due to the, uh, the you know, the, the nitrogen poisoning you get. Have a listen. May, I'm here. I'm coming. I'm coming. May, are you okay? I saw something. What? Something out there in the blue. What did you see? There are so many ways how this could end, but it's all happening for a reason. I belong here. No, it's not real. You have nitrogen narcosis, okay? I saw so Please snap out of it. Okay, it's not real. Nitrogen narcosis, yes, okay. I'm gonna lift the rock with this pole. Ready? May, May, please snap out of it. I need your help. Yes, it's the rock. We're gonna, we're gonna lift it. Yes. Okay, yes. Listening to that, I'm trying to imagine what the, the the underwater cinematography is like on this. Was it was it really beautiful? Surprisingly, not. Now, this is the oh. film I was going to I was going to talk about with the sense of location, sense of geography, right? Because it really hurts it in this case. Um, on land, the sequences are on land with one of the sisters. Fine. Uh, the sequences underwater, you don't really get much of a sense of. You're kind of just—it's it, a face in the blackness, and that's that's fine in one sense. But there are, the, the, for instance, there's a moment with an air pocket, and it's like this seems to come out of nowhere. That being said, um, now, I, I'll caveat this by also saying this is not a patch on either 47 meters down or fall. And I rewatched Fall recently. I bloody loved that movie. I loved Fall, and you know, not just because of my you know absolute you know infatuation with Grace Caroline Curry. Naturally, you know, I have to make a, a you know a, a sort of allowance for the whole Grace Caroline Curry of that one. But uh, say this is nowhere near as good as either Forty Seven Minutes Down or Fall. That being said, on a screenwriting level, this goes absolutely to the kind of extreme that I enjoy, which is. I like it when you give me a survival thriller and no matter what you try, 
it can it can be bad and then it'll get worse and this is one of those movies where anything that can go wrong does go wrong any limitation that can be put on them does get put on them and to be quite honest i i genuinely thought we are not getting to the end of this movie with both of these sisters intact like someone's gotta die the way this is going someone's gotta die it is a movie that you cannot genuinely guess where it's gonna go next like what what's gonna go wrong next you don't quite know and it's it's, I mean, certain movies that do this expertly, you know, it winds up being the, the success of them. It's why James Cameron's, uh, you know, career was, was as good as it was for so long, because he was a guy that knew to just make the situation worse. If you ever look at uh, Terminator 2, you know, in my mind, probably the best movie ever made. Terminator 2, you know, we can get out of this by doing this, yes, but then this will go wrong, and then this will go wrong, and it's, the, and it's that. It's, okay, we can escape by getting the lift. Yes, but he can pull the lift open. Okay, um, we can escape by shooting him through. Yes, but he can then leak through. Okay, well, we can escape by getting in the car. Yes, but he can jump on the back. I like that. That is my level of screenwriting. Come at me with everything you've got. Now, this is a movie that doesn't hold back, and it does come at you with everything it's got. The, the performances, as you can hear in that clip there, can be a little hokey at times. They don't quite sell that level of screenwriting. And combined with the very disjointed, disconnected sense of geography that you get with it, not really a full box ticker. I will say, you know, there's there's one of these movies about two, two young women trapped under a swimming pool cover that I saw a few years ago. I can't remember the name of it, but actually that did a very similar thing to this, and I thought that was better at it. Like, literally, you know the, the, the cover that you can mechanically push oh, over? Oh, yes. There is a survival thriller from three or four years ago about uh, two like college-age women uh, in a pool one night when someone the, the, the attendant goes home and just doesn't notice they're in there and switches it on and traps them with like that much with like you know four inches of air at the top, and that was absolutely brilliant, but in a strange way was more effective than this because the performances sold it better, but also you had a better sense of that location. Here. You don't quite, and I know you can make the argument that, you know, gravity kind of excelled at doing the, obviously gravity kind of is the benchmark for doing the whole isolated in a black space version of this. But for me, it was a massive letdown. So that sense of location, the occasionally hokey performances, let down what otherwise is quite a tight and tidy three and a half star thriller, like three and a half. Mm. And I say that as someone who will merrily give four to 47 meters down or fall. I mean, Fall, I'll even push it further. I'll give four and a half to Fall. Because I think Fall is an excellent movie. Um, but I would say I would watch Fall again before ever watching this again. Did you find um, it quite annoying trying to listen to them talking underwater? Because listening to that clip, I was sat here thinking, oh, it's, it's not the best sound quality. I know the reason why, because they're underwater mm. and they're trying to give you the effects of what it would sound like. But mm. if it's a lot of footage of them talking to each other underwater, to me, that would get quite annoying. It's about half the time, to be fair, because half the time you've got the other sister on the on land and you've got a lot of flashbacks in there as well. So it's not really... I mean, it's the gravity of it. You know, it's the gravity equation. It's, it's yeah. you know, Sandra Bullock and George Clooney communicating entirely through, you know, space walkies. You know, it's uh, it's one of those things. You, you adjust to it. If you're into it, you're into it. And if you're not, you're not. I mean, this is oh, it's still better sound mix than any Christopher Nolan movie. Give it that. <laughs> 
Well, you can make your own mind up and go and see it yourself if you like. It's called The Dive and it is in cinemas from today. Uh, right, we are going to talk about The Blackening in just a bit. We've also got The Mob coming up with John Travolta in it. Really looking forward to hearing what Van thinks of that one. Uh, so stay right where you are. We will review The Blackening in just a sec. Hello and welcome back to the show. Right, um, we've still got another movie to talk about in a moment, The Mob, but right now, The Blackening, about seven friends who go away for a lovely weekend, but it doesn't quite work out that way, does it, Ben? Well, no, uh, because first of all, they're going to a cabin in the woods. Which... <laughs> I'm sorry, no, you lose me at that point. Right, so the way the way this works is you've got seven African-American uh, friends who, they are 10 years past college, I believe. And uh, they're, they're all college friends, and they, they're reuniting for Juneteenth, which tells you when this probably opened in the States and how late we're getting it here, doesn't it? So it's set on, on Juneteenth weekend. They've, uh, they've gone, they've rented a cabin in the woods. Uh, they're all coming together, you know, 10-year reunion. Most of them haven't seen each other for these 10 years, but there's, there's occasional dynamics where this person has beef with this person, this person has beef with that one. Um, now... No sooner do they get to the cabin than they discover the games room, which they, of course, have a wander in, filled with card games, board games, etc. And in the centre of the room is a board game that's been left out there, especially, and it's called The Blackening, which they open open up and they find inside, it's literally got this, this talking head centrepiece, which is styled like an old minstrel cartoon, like, you know, the old racist parody kind of cartoons, styled yeah. like an old minstrel. And from this head, it emerges a voice of a, you know, a, it, the, the voice begins and the TV comes on in the background as well, also displaying the same face, like an old retro TV. And the TV shows one of their number having been uh, strapped to a chair and tortured. And, and the voice says, welcome, in order to save your friend's life, you have to answer and, and get out of here alive. You have to answer 10 questions, 10 trivia questions. And these are all questions basically relating to the plight of black people in popular culture, but also with an undercurrent of horror movies as well. So, I mean, for instance, they ask, they, they literally, their lives depend at one point on answering, you know, uh, how, how many seasons did the first Aunt Viv get through in Fresh Prince? And you've got, you know, seven black friends debating this between them. And then it's, can you name four black characters from Friends? Unbelievably, it turns out there actually were four black characters in Friends. I've seen every episode of Friends and I couldn't name four black characters in Friends. I got it to, I think I got two of them. Wow. Right. So what you have is effectively Cabin in the Woods meets Dear White People. And it's absolutely hilarious. But, you know, don't take my word for it. Have a listen. This is three of them. Because, they, 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 of course, they, you've got to go through every genre convention imaginable. So at one point they have to split up, for instance. You know, knowing full well that this is how they die in horror movies. As the tagline for the movie says, we can't all die first. But this is three of them bursting out of the cabin to run straight into the waiting arms of a previously assumed racist white cop named... Brilliantly, Ranger White, played by Deirdrick Baker. Have a listen to this. Wait, how do we know we can trust him? Oh, Vance. I'm one of the good ones. Oh, that does not help they all say that. That actually makes you seem more suspicious. You can trust me. Seriously, if I got an invite to the cookout, I'd be honored, but I wouldn't go. And why the not? Because I know my presence in that all-black space would be a disturbance, and undo it being an all-black space. That's a pretty good answer. I'm so mm -hmm. worse than me. Look, we're gonna lower our hands 
lower away. Okay, great. Look, I've never been so happy to see a white savior. Somebody's trying to kill us. Please help us, please. Whoa, slow down. A mass killer is after us and two of our friends are dead. What do you mean, dead? Dead, dead. Meet your maker, dead, dead. Where are the rest of your friends? Split up. You split up, but you're all black. Whoa, oh, wow. do not get comfortable. I know you didn't. Oh, move, bro. Sorry. So, so what would you say there is more of in this? Is it more towards the thriller, jumpy horror side or more towards the comedy side? Because to me, that clip is way more comedy than anything else. That is quite a comedic clip. And as always, because obviously we, we tend to go for the dialogue driven clips because radio. Um, but I would say this is quite an even mix of horror and comedy. I think this is absolutely bloody brilliant. Like, this is one of the best movies of the year. I thought this was great. Now, I say, I had the link for this from the US side and uh, perks of, you know, Chicago Film Critics uh, Association. Um, I invited a mate round, big horror fan, friend of mine named Ben. And I said, did you fancy watching this? Should we give this a watch? Now, the pair of us loved this. And, like, he is as genre literate as I am. So we were sat there being like, oh, that's a reference to, oh, that's a reference to. Absolutely brilliant. Loved it. Had an absolute ball with it. Brilliantly sharp. Wonderfully funny. Uh, Dark-hearted. I mean, the humour in there. It's very much that Cabin in the Woods level of humour. Like, it's going for Cabin in the Woods terrain. It's kind of a Cabin in the Woods meets Saw kind of a threat. But like I say, with that Dear White People satire, it's um, written and directed by Tim Story. Uh, sorry, it's directed by Tim Story. It's not written by Tim Story, noticeably. Because I, I came away from this thinking, this has got to be the best film that's got Tim Story's name on it. Surely. Surely the man that directed, like, Barbershop and Think Like a Man and the, fan the first two Fantastic Fours from the early 2000s, surely this has got to be the best film that's got his name on it. And I say that as a man who literally has the Fantastic Four logo tattooed on his peck. You know what I mean? I love Think Like a Man and everything, but this is academically the best movie Tim Story has ever put his name to. Um, in terms of the cast, like, Deirdre Baker is arguably the biggest star in this. Um, there's uh, a role in there for uh, Cinqua Walls, who and I couldn't place him for the entirety of the movie. It turned out I was remembering him from Shark Night 3D all the way back in I think 2011. So this is not this is not a name cast, but really well cast, really well cast. With one exception, I've got to try and find his name. I want to say it's Jay Farrow. I want to say it's Jay. F oh no no no, Jermaine Fowler. Jermaine Fowler. No. Close. Close. Now. Jermaine Fowler plays it just a bit too cartoonish. So cartoonish, in fact, that an eventual reveal of the character is kind of telegraphed, but also doesn't quite make sense, I, I want to say. And it's because he chooses to play his character an awful lot like Eddie Murphy in Bowfinger. Have you ever seen Bowfinger? Oh, there's, I think so, there's, yeah. There's two Eddie Murphys in, and one of them is just Eddie Murphy, like the movie star, and the other one is Eddie Murphy as a sort of Urkel-style nerd. Yes. And yeah. Jermaine Fowler is going for the Urkel-style nerd Eddie Murphy and Bowfinger kind of shtick, and it just feels out of step with the rest of the film. It feels noticeably out of place, and you wished he dialed it down just a little bit. But he is literally the only, like, the only box I wouldn't tick on an otherwise near-perfect horror satire. And I mean near-perfect. By my measure, this is just... This is one we'll, we'll be referring back to this five, ten years from now. Like, this will be wow. a film that we refer back to in the context of other films. Like, we will review other films five or ten years from now and refer back to... Oh, it's a bit like The Black Blackening. And for good reason. This is an absolutely fantastic movie. 
And I think if you, it's fantastic if you know the genre or if you don't. If you don't know the genre, it can work just as a straight horror comedy. And if you do know the genre, there is enough lampooning, there's enough of a satirical shot being taken at you know this, that, and the other. And even just uh, a ra- uh, you know a race based satire, even just a satire looking at you know black versus white culture, it absolutely works. I think it's an absolute banger. If you see one movie this week, make it the Blackening. Like I say, this instantly in my top ten of the year. Like I will watch this. This is like every Christmas when I watch back on the best of the year. This is on that pile now. So the Blackening is an all timer for me. This is this is one of the best of this year. Wow, some huge praise there from Van Connor, which means oh, yeah. it must be good. How long is it, by the way? It is a breathtaking 97 minutes. Perfect! So I actually, yeah, so I get to say the thing I never get to say, which is I wished this had been longer. How often do <laughs> you get to hear me say that? No, you don't often say that, let's be honest. Um, mm. Well, I mean, it sounds great. It's, it's the sort of movie I would enjoy, from what you said. <laughs> There's a moment in this in which the characters just... They randomly drop in the... From uh, Friday the 13th, and Ben and I are just like, Dude, F-13, yeah! <laughs> it's just brilliant. Well, from what you said, it sounds like there's yeah. a lot of that that goes on through the movie. For two horror nerds to sit and watch. I'll say, yeah. we were watching this as two horror nerds, but we were absolutely howling. With, it was like, with apologies to my neighbours kind of a thing. It was that funny. Like, we were just in hysterics. I can't wait to watch this again. Well, there you go. The Blackening is in cinemas from today, if you want to give it a whirl when you get time. Uh, right, one movie left to talk about, and that is Mobland. Um, and, of course, uh, it's got John Travolta in. So we'll see what Van thought of that in just a second. Stay there. Hello and welcome back for one last ride. We're going to talk about Mobland, which is, I believe, a new movie featuring John Travolta. Now, I don't know if he plays like a main part in this. Um, is he the sheriff in this? He he is the sheriff, but it is worth noting that they really have sold this as a John Travolta movie. But this is, we, we are talking about current era Travolta. So, first of all, they've they've been able to afford him for like two days. You know what I mean? They've, they've had him for like two days of filming. Right. Like Shiloh Fernandez, uh, Stephen Dorff, and even Kevin Bloody Dillon. Kevin, D- Johnny Drama from Entourage have more of a prominent role in this movie than Trey. He is at best the fourth most prominent role. At best. I mean, I, I could even go to fifth because maybe Amber Benson edges him out. But uh, do, do you remember Shiloh Fernandez? Remember him? Yes. Yeah, I, I, they tried to make him a thing for five minutes, like ten years ago. And he's yeah, he's he's now in the director DVD wilderness where this I was belongs. Say, and also, where is he? Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, it's ten years since he was in that Evil Dead remake. <laughs> Incidentally, uh, another Cabin in the Woods movie, you know. But um, and Stephen Dorff, you know, bad guy from Blade, which is twenty five years old this week. Oh, so, stop with the age yeah. thing. <laughs> I know, but also, how much of a banger is Blade? I mean. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's... So, yeah, Blade and Armageddon, 25 years old this year, so enjoy those. Uh, but, yeah, he, I, I don't know what's happened to him since Blade, but, uh, yeah, time has not been kind to him. Anyway, so, Mobland, which does star Travolta, as you say, as the sheriff, uh, written and directed by Nicholas Maggio. Um, I don't know how to say this politely, but he's, he's not much of a writer or director, based on this. And uh, this is a, I'm going to say near two hours. Yeah, it's an hour 51, this. Crime drama that... F- 
follows Shiloh Fernandez, the down on his luck, you know, got a got his baby mama and the kid and his his girl's brother, played by Kevin Dillon, comes along and says, Oh, let's let's knock over this place. And they go and they do that, but of course they they knock over the wrong guys. And it turns out the people they've robbed are all connected, so they send an enforcer after them, played by Stephen Dorff, who basically, you know, offs the brother and says, okay, Shiloh Fernandez, you're mine now. Do what I say. And they go on another criminal escapade to mop up the damage. And as all this is going on, Travolta is kind of picking up the pieces, trying to figure out just what the hell is going on. Noticeably in a series of very shortly shot scenes that clearly were patched together over two to three days worth of filming. Uh, I will listen to the clip, and I think you'll hear how cheap this is. But also, just take a moment to savour the accent that JT's putting on for this one. Who was that? We got the money. The money? We killed two people, Trey. Two men, in and out. What you thinking? It's gonna be about pills and money and pistol. I can't understand what's at stake here. She's my niece. I understand what's at stake. What do you know? It's a damn empire, Bodie. You're saying this outfit is mom. What are we dealing with? Locals, that's all. Nothing that can't be handled quick. I'll recover what was taken. Morning, Shelby. Is that like a, a deep South accent? I can't quite figure it out. It, it, it is. They're trying for that. This is very much set in sort of, you know, redneck, white trash kind of uh, kind of country. And, yeah, I mean, it's... The thing is... It's not even offensively terrible. It's just a nothing of a film. And it's, funnily enough, the the fact that it stars Kevin Dillon in it. Kevin Dillon has just become Johnny Drama at this stage. Because this is the kind of movie that Johnny Drama from Entourage would get offered a starring role in. And it, yeah, it, it, it plays very much in that pool. Formulaic, forgettable, pretty inconsequential. You don't care. You really don't. And there's nothing to write home in this. It's... It's a kind of movie that will get forgotten to the, you know, the the, the the Netflix ether. It'll turn up there, and and that's it. It's the sort of the kind of film Sky Cinema buy just to pad out their premiere a day roster. But nobody cares. It's petrol station bin kind of a DVD movie. Noticeably, the coasts on starring John Travolta because the box art, the cover for this, you now the poster is literally John Travolta, Mobland, big poster of Travolta. I was sold this by a publicist's email that was generally touting, genuinely touting, like the legacy of John Travolta. And I would argue that if this is his legacy, then my bro, hang it up. Hang it up and have done. Your day is gone. Well, you've got to ask the question, you've got to ask the question, why did he agree to do a movie like this with such a small part? He must have read the script. He must have known what it was well, about. That would be for the money. It would totally be for the money. It's the same, you know, it's the same thing as all these actors do this now. It's just, you know, they spend most of the budget on that one key actor they can get for two or three days. And then they film a handful of scenes and they can put their ty- their name on the box and on the, you know, on the, the, the poster or the DVD box and it sells overseas. It'll sell overseas, for instance, where, you know, audiences are less discerning about, you know, because it's usually been dubbed at that point and they can smooth out whatever plot issues or anything like that. It's that. It's the patronage. I mean, Bruce Willis, you know, obviously a much sadder set of circumstances to Bruce Willis, but yeah. this is this is how Bruce Willis gained the system rather cleverly, I should add. You know, before we knew the sad truth, you know, about, you know, Bruce Willis's condition, this was how he was setting up his nest egg for his family because he was 
famously quoted as saying, I get a million a day. That was it. That's why he stopped doing the Expendables movies because they couldn't afford his rate of a million a day. They, they, you know, they were they were playing for cheaper on the Expendables movies. But he was going in and doing three or four days on one of these director DVD style movies, pocketing three and four million dollars, and that was it. You know, do one of those a week, and that was his year. That's why Bruce Willis was in six to twelve movies a year, for instance, because that's all he was doing. That's why they do it. And it's it's quite obvious that Travolta has stumbled upon this himself at this point. And fair play to him. If that's how he wants to, you know, hock his wares in his old, older years, fair play to him. I wish I didn't have to sit through him. But, uh... <laughs> well, you do. You, you, you take one for the lads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, taking it for the team in this case. But... Just goddamn, it's worth noting. I mean, I've got the, uh, the, the the Paul Ross Freeview spot to record later. I know that he's picked Saturday Night Fever as his Sunday pick this week. So, do you know what? There is a better Travolta movie you can watch this weekend for free. Also, let's be honest, Face Off exists. And you could bury most of John Travolta's film catalogue and just watch Face Off over and over oh, again. Oh, I love that film so much. What is so your favourite? Do you have any other favourite Travolta movies out of interest? Because this is more uh, than talking about Mobland. It would be Pulp Fiction and Face Off, I'd say, would be my, my my top two. My mum makes us watch Phenomenon a lot. She loves Phenomenon. You know where he's the, the, the he's the, the sort of low intellect guy, the low IQ guy, and he sees the the, the light in the sky at night, and it gives him like uh, high IQ. And oh yes, yeah, I've forgotten about you know that. that one? Yeah, that one. We watched that quite a lot in my family for some reason. I've never figured that one out, but uh, yeah, that that's that's one we quite like. But uh, oh, also, I'll be honest. He is a pretty fun Punisher villain. Like in the 2004 Punisher, he's a good villain. He is a good villain. No, absolutely. Yeah, because I mean, and, and you can see that in Face Off when he has to play yeah. the villain, even though he's not the villain. Papa's got a burning bag. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Absolute legend. He really. It's is. like looking in a mirror, only not. <laughs> I love him in that. <laughs> That's a really good he impression. He is just mincing it, mincing it for the country in that one. He really is. I love him in Face Off. But, well, although, you know, let's be honest though, Face Off has its problems. Because I'm sorry, she, how did she, how did she never notice? I mean, she slept the wife, right? The wife the slept with him. Yeah. The wife slept with him. How did she never notice? I mean, from the waist down, he couldn't have been the same. Also, we saw Nicolas Cage's character. He was a very Let's just let's just call it what it was, filthy character. Yeah. And his FBI agent was a lot more, let's just say vanilla a character. There's there's no way after that night together she does not immediately know. No. 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 You would, I'm sorry, you? no. You just you just would. You just would. Yeah, you you just you'd know. You know, yeah. yeah, anyway, that's that, that's my logic hole in the middle of face. I'll accept that they can swap faces, but that's where I draw the line. <laughs> <laughs> Darn it! <laughs> that's, that's that's why you lost me, John Woo. But yeah, oh, oh, brilliant. Man. Well, if you want to look and watch um, a less deserving movie uh, than Face Off, uh, by the sounds of what Van says, you could go and see The Mob, which has John Travolta in and is in cinemas from today. Um, all right, so let's talk next week then. Um, we've got a few to look at. We're going to look at The Sound of Freedom. I don't know anything about that one. This has been really problematic in the US. This is uh, Jim Caviezel, so automatically problematic. Uh, you know, the guy who played Jesus in The Passion of the Christ, uh, starred in uh, Person of Interest and Frequency. Well, he, he's evidently a certifiable maniac. Like, the guy is 
clearly delusional. There is an entire hour and a half long podcast, which I thoroughly recommend listening to, by the way, um, of people just whistleblowing about what it's like to work with Jim Caviezel. And the man is, you just run. If you ever see him in public, run. Um, and he's done this this movie based on a true story about this guy who took on human traffickers. And uh, he kind of made the situation worse, although the movie kind of does away with that. Anyway, uh, we've also got And Then Came the Night Jars, which is a story about uh, foot and mouth, about foot and mouth disease. Uh, we've got the horror comedy Apocalypse Clown next week, which I can't wait for. It's got a clown in it. Sign me up. Um, Cobweb is next week, which I had the pleasure of watching a couple of weeks ago. This is a new horror movie starring uh, Anthony Starr, a.k.a. Homelander from The Boys, uh, and Lizzie Kaplan as well. And uh, this is... We're going to have fun talking about this. This is really something. So that is out next week as well. I'm hoping Alongside... it's not... I was about to say, I'm hoping it's not a cheesy horror about, like, arachnophobia, like like arachnophobia where there's loads of spiders nah. around. No, nah, not about arachnophobia. But... Good. Uh, last but certainly by no means least, and we have no guarantee that we're going to get to see this because they've been very cagey about the screenings. Um, the Equalizer Three, which I maintain they should have called the Three Equalizer, but it is out on Wednesday, so I might just pop along to a public show. Uh, the Three Equalizer is upon us next week. Denzel's going to Italy and fighting the mob. Take my money, sir. Amazing. Well, some really good ones to look forward to next week, and you're going to see them in between now and next Friday. Uh, so that is all we've got time for this week. We will be back, of course, with Off Screen on Friday next week. Until then, I've been Adam Ball. I've been Van Connor, and we shall return. Listener.